So with uh, Easter being exactly uh, one month from today, I, I began a series um, just to help us uh, prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls for that, that great day of, of celebration. And we're doing that by looking at five things that are true of us because of the cross. And, and of course, I mean, Easter would not mean a great deal, right, without the cross before it. It's what Jesus did and, and accomplished on the cross that makes Easter so outstanding because uh, the resurrection proves that uh, God fully accepted Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. And so we began this series last Sunday. Uh, we looked at the amazing truth that we are 100% debt-free uh, because of the cross. Our debt was, was canceled. Uh, we owe God you know, a debt of perfect obedience, and we owe that to him because he's our creator. And as our maker, he's the one that gets to set the rules, and he has rights and authority over us. However, uh, sin is what makes it impossible for us to live that life of, of perfect obedience. And, and so we've, we've all messed up. In fact, I would guess that the vast majority of us in here would be able to freely uh, and honestly admit that we've royally messed up, uh, and uh, that God has taken care of through Jesus Christ. He did what we could not do ourselves. Jesus led that perfect life, fulfilling every single one of the demands of God, and that means that Jesus owed no debt of his own. He, he was debt-free, uh, and therefore he could take our debt upon himself, which is what he did on the cross. He took that whole list of sins uh, against us, nailed it to the cross with him, canceling out the debt. And the moment we accept that truth for ourselves, the moment we accept it, then, then that is applied to our account and our debt is wiped away. So, so canceled uh, debt, that's one of the tremendous results of the cross. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a second thing that is true of us because of the cross. And, and remember, I, as I mentioned last Sunday, these are in no particular order in terms of ascending or descending importance or anything like that. Uh, each one is, is equally important in its own right. This is just simply the order I chose to preach them in. And this one we're going to be looking at this morning is the fact that... Um, uh, we, we are now reconciled because of the cross. So, um, these uh, verses are also found in the book of Colossians. If you were here last Sunday, we looked at Colossians uh, chapter 2. This is chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you always to follow along. And it says this, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through him to re reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for what you have done for us. We're so grateful for your work on the cross. And I just pray this morning that you would help um, to clarify and impress this truth upon our hearts and minds and to understand what that really means for us today. So God, please do your work in us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So ha have you ever noticed in life uh, how 
reconciliation can be a tough thing? Anybody ever been at odds, been in discord, and and, and in need of reconciliation? Uh, Loved one, family member, neighbor? It's tough. I mean, just, just ask Leon and Mildred of British Columbia, Canada. They'd been having some friction in their relationship. And the main point of friction came over the amount of alcohol that the man was consuming. Mildred said that it was way too much and wanted him to cut down. Leon said that he had every right to go out drinking with his buddies whenever he wanted. Uh, this led to numerous uh, fights uh, within their relationship, and they had one particularly big blow-up, and their relationship was hurting and broken over this issue. And what they needed was a means of agreement and reconciliation. But uh, they chose a different path. Leon went out drinking one night with his friends again, and Mildred decided she had had enough. So she called a locksmith and had all the locks changed on the house. So when Leon got home late that night, he was unable to get into his residence, and he pounded and screamed at the door, and Mildred refused to let him in. But so happens that Leon was a heavy equipment operator, so he went out behind the garage and fired up the bulldozer. Whereupon he promptly commenced to smashing the house to smithereens. Now, Mildred uh, did escape safely, and Leon's later explanation to the police was, if I couldn't sleep in the house, then neither was she. Now, by the way, did you know it's not against the law to smash your house to smithereens? Uh, The cops did uh, nab Leon on driving under the influence. Apparently, it's illegal to operate a bulldozer while you're drunk. But, but uh, other than that, there were no charges. There was also no reconciliation between Mildred and Leon. I mean, it's, it's a tough thing to achieve, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's challenging between people. But the truth is, reconciliation is... It, absolutely impossible between man and God apart from the work of Jesus Christ. So those verses we we read this morning, uh, you you would have noticed two key concepts in them about our reconciliation with God. Uh, And those concepts are this, the source of the reconciliation and then God's strategy for providing it. And the source, again, it comes from verse 19. It starts out uh, by saying, it was the Father's good pleasure, right? This is something God wanted to do. This was His good pleasure. And and then it lists two things that it was His good pleasure to do. And one, it says, is to have the fullness dwell in Jesus. Now, now the fullness, that's, that's a whole another series of uh, sermons in and of itself. And, and, you know, you read that phrase, it's just kind of sitting there by itself, and you're like, wait, what? I don't, I don't get that. What, what's he talking about, fullness? What does that mean? And, and oftentimes when you come across stuff like that in Scripture, the best thing to do is keep reading or, or go back and start reading a little earlier and read through because oftentimes the context will 
will help explain a phrase that you do not under, understand. And in this particular case, if you keep reading, the answer comes in chapter 2, uh, verse 9, which says, For in him, that's Jesus, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And you say, oh, it's talking about the, uh, the, 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 the divine nature of God, that, that, that Jesus was God. He, that's who he is. The, uh, and it pleased God to become human so that he could accomplish certain things. And, and, and he was able to accomplish the second thing, that it says it was the Father's good pleasure to do. If you keep going back there in 120, it says, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. That's what the Father's good pleasure was, right? He, God the Father, through Jesus, reconciles all things, all, all things. So uh, we're just going to talk about one aspect of, of reconciliation this morning. There's more that we could get into, uh, but all things. But, and, and that means, if you think about it, that means reconciliation started, it began with God, right? He's the one who initiated it. He's the source, I mean, as you read the Bible, it, it makes it very clear that Christianity is not a, a record of man's search for God and that finally through, through all kinds of perseverance and, and, and searching, we have found a way to be right with Him. Now, the Bible takes the exact opposite approach. It says the exact opposite is what happened. It is a record of God's work towards man, what, what God has done for us. Man did not seek God. God sought us out. In fact, since man is spiritually dead, if you were here last Sunday, remember that's a concept we looked at last Sunday, we were spiritually dead. We cannot seek God because, you know, dead people can't do that kind of stuff. Uh, you can't initiate anything as a dead person. And, and so the only reason a person seeks after God, the only reason it kind of appears that way in our human, from our human perspective and in, in our thing, is because God planted that desire within us. So, so reconciliation is, is not a work of, of man towards God. It, it, it is a work of God for us. And, and, and that again, is a pivotal distinction between Christianity and every man-made religion in the world. And it doesn't matter. I mean, you take any look at any other uh, religion, whether it's Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Spiritism, New Ageism, or any other ism you want to uh, come up with there, whatever you can think of, they all start with man working his way towards God. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. And, and, and pretty soon you can get yourself worked to a, a level where you're, you're now acceptable to God and, and, and uh, you can make it work. Um, but... Uh, uh, you, you do all your good works, your, 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 your good deeds, uh, your efforts, your piety, and, and pretty soon you'll make it. Uh, but Christianity, it's the only religion that starts with God and shows Him reaching down to help a totally helpless humanity make it um, to Himself. And, and so the source of our reconciliation is God Himself. And maybe you're thinking, okay, I get that. You could have just said that in one sentence. I mean, why belabor the point? Why make, a, why make such a big deal out of it? Well, here's the thing to think about. The fact that God initiated reconciliation means that God wants it, right? I mean, you don't, you don't start something. You don't initiate something unless you 
want whatever it is you're starting to be accomplished. And you know what that means? That means God's seeking you because He wants things to be made right between you. He desires a good and harmonious relationship with you. In spite of your failures, in spite of all your junk and baggage in life, God loves you enough to take the first step. You ever noticed in reconciliation, that's the hardest thing, isn't it? For someone to take the first step. You you know, a relationship's broken, they're at odds, and both of them, you know, as much as you'd always want to blame it on the other person, which is what we do, right? It's their fault that, you know, things are things. When we're honest with ourselves, we we always know there's a little bit on both sides and uh, and this type of thing, but they're the one that has to take the first step. As soon as they come and apologize to me, then maybe I'll think about, you know, we want them to take the first step. God took the first step. Is that incredible? God took the first step. He wants to be reconciled with you. Now that brings us up to the strategy he used. And the strategy he used was, was so bizarre, so outside the box, that most of the people, the Jews and the Gentiles, who, who witnessed it in that day, refused to believe it. I mean, they, they didn't capture it. Look at the next line in verse 20. It says, having made peace through the blood of the cross. The, the strategy uh, or, or that means of reconciliation that, that God provided was the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And, and there's no other way it, it could have happened if we, if we honestly think about it, right? Because we could not be reconciled to God. That relationship could not be made right if our sin had not first been dealt with. As long as sin was still in the picture, then we have this debt that we owe God and we could never be at peace with Him. The the relationship could not have been made right because holiness, the perfect holiness of God and, and, and unrighteousness, all of our unrighteousness, those things cannot dwell together in harmony. But... Christ shed his blood, dying dying in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. And one of the tremendous results then of of that is that our unrighteousness, this this barrier that's that's blocking reconciliation and harmony with God is washed away. And therefore now we can be reconciled. That that word reconciled, the Greek word, it, it literally means to change or exchange. And because of Christ's death, uh, we are able to change our relationship with God. In fact, uh, the terms of our, in terms of our relationship with God, uh, everything changed because of what um, theologians call the great exchange. Uh, the great exchange took place the very moment you came to Christ for salvation. And that exchange is our despicable sinfulness for Christ's unimaginable righteousness. Those two things are exchanged. See, God, God takes all of your sin, charges them 
to Jesus Christ's account. I'm taking all of the sin that's upon you, every single one of them, and, and putting them on Christ. And, and then Christ paid for all those sins by his suffering and dying on the cross. But God does more than just taking your sin and, and allowing Christ to, to pay the penalty for him. He then takes all the perfect righteousness of Christ, all of it, and places it to your credit, on your account. That's, that's the great exchange. So now, when you've put your faith in Christ, God no longer looks at you and sees some poor, miserable sinner. He sees a person perfectly righteous, a, a man or a woman without sin. It's, a, it's an incredible thing, isn't it? Now, I've got a question for you. And this may seem like a bit of an odd question at first. But have you ever found yourself, put yourself, been in this position where you wondered how it is that God can even stand the sight of you sometimes? You ever wondered that? Right? I think you know what I'm talking about, right? It usually happens when you've sinned. You've sinned again. And maybe it's that same old sin that you promised God you would never do again. And yet you did. And now you feel wretched. I mean, you're just completely miserable about it. And, and, and you go to God and, and you ask God for forgiveness, just like you've done a dozen times before. And even as you're praying, you wonder, how can God stand to look at me when I fail so much? How, how can he stand to look at me when I can barely stand to look at myself in the mirror? Well, this, this is how he can do it. Because when he saved you, he did an incredible work. He exchanged your sinfulness, all of it, all of your sinfulness, past, present, and even future sins that you've yet to commit. He's exchanged all of it for Christ's perfect righteousness. And because of that great exchange, your relationship with God is now forever changed, even during those times when you fail, because you are reconciled with God. Verses 21 and 22 kind of give us a before and after picture of this, of this reconciliation thing. Right, verse 21 starts with the before part. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. That's, that's the before picture. A- alienated means to be separated from, not, not on good terms with God. It means you're not in a position uh, of a good relationship, that somehow it is marred, it is, it is broken, or, or maybe just non-existent. And you know, I, I know that most people... Uh, out in the world, those who, who have not yet come to, to faith in Jesus Christ, they, they would admit that they don't have that you know, close relationship with God. They would admit that they're alienated from God. But hostile? Oh, most people, no, I'm, uh, there's no hostility between me. I'm not hostile towards God, right? Uh, they, they would say that doesn't describe them. 
But usually that's because we only think of hostility in terms of being angry with God, hating God, openly rebellious God, shaking your fist at God. And there's some people who admit they're hostile with God, right? They're mad at God because God didn't do whatever they wanted God to do for them. And so there's some people like that. But the vast majority wouldn't be angry and shaking their fists. Like, oh, no, no, that, that's not me. I'm not hostile with God. I mean, if, if anything, you know, I'm just kind of apathetic towards God. I think that's what most people would say if they're trying to be honest. I, I just, you know, I just really don't care what's going on with God. But hostile, you see, doesn't necessarily mean uh, openly angry. It simply means to be against. And guess what? If you are in charge of your own life, doing your own thing, you're against God because God demands His rightful place of Lord and Master of your life. He's the one to be in charge. And so any resistance to His authority is hostility. And don't you think that describes a lot of people in our culture? Yeah, they would say, oh no, I'm not, I'm not mad at God. I'm maybe even neutral towards God. I never really think about God. But when it comes to God's authority in their life, well, this is what God says. They're like, whoa, no, no, not me. I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's hostility with God, that resistance. The same kind of thing is true for the evil deeds, right? How many people do you know would go and admit, oh, yeah, I, I do a lot of evil deeds? No, people don't, right? Because they're not evil, according, according to them, right? No, because you, know, you know who evil people are? Evil people are those other guys who do worse things than me. Okay, that's evil people. Uh, yeah, I, I might do some wrong things now and then. Yeah, I, I, you know, I know I do you know, some things that aren't right, but it's not, I'm not evil. But biblically speaking, anything that is outside God's perfect plan is evil. Uh, you know, it's not the guy that's worse than you. It's you. So that's who we are. That's the before picture. But then, in salvation, that alienation and hostility and, and evil are exchanged for a life that is described in verse 22 at the end as being holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. And now maybe if you're a Christian and you're, you're sitting here and say, okay, I, I've given my life to Christ, but man, hold on here a minute. I'm not holy and blameless and, and beyond reproach. I, 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 I still struggle. I, I still fail sometimes. I, I, that's not me, is it? And, and if that's what you're thinking... You've missed. You've missed the whole point of the great exchange. Your status, your standing before God is not based upon your performance. Your reconciliation with God is not dependent upon your behavior. You are holy and blameless and beyond reproach 
because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and God has taken your sinfulness and exchanged it for his perfect righteousness. That is what defines your standing before God. Now, yes, our behavior plays a- another role in terms of ongoing fellowship and, and change and transformation, but that's, that's another message. This is who you are. Because of that great exchange, you're not defined by the sins of your past, by the mistakes of your present, but by what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's why we can stand in a reconciled relationship with God. You're, you're not at odds with God. You're not distant. You are not on poor terms. You are fully accepted and pleasing to God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that allows you to have a right relationship with God, a close and loving relationship with God. You get the benefits of that restored relationship with God even in the midst of your ongoing struggles and failures. And that's why you can come to God even in your failures and know that you're right with God because you've been reconciled because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. You know, when, we, when, you, when you think of it in earthly terms, right, we understand when we're reconciled with, with someone on earth, it means that everything is okay between us, right? Isn't that what reconciled means? You've had that broken relationship? Maybe you've had a friend, Okay. And that friend said or, or did something that hurt you. And now there's friction and discord in your relationship. It's created a distance between you and, and your friend. You're out of harmony. And therefore your interactions, whenever you do have any together, are strained and, and, and uncomfortable. Ever been there? And then one day, one day this person comes and apologizes to you. They took the first step. And because of that, you you were able to to sit down and talk things out and and work everything out and and be reconciled with one another. And and now there's this this renewed sense of closeness and harmony and, and it brings joy and openness into your relationship again. And now you feel comfortable in in that person's presence. In fact, you want to be around them and spend time with them. There's joy in being together. A reconciled relationship gives you a, a, a confidence to talk with them. When you're reconciled, you can talk even about sensitive subjects. It gives you an assurance that they're there for you. They're, they're going to be there for you. All those same things are true of you between you and God since you've been reconciled by what Jesus did on the cross. That broken relationship, well, it's, it's been mended. Right? When, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them for relationship, not only with each other, but with him, with God. Right? They would walk and talk with them in the garden. They had that perfect bond of, of unity together. But when sin entered the picture, that relationship was shattered. And think of how Adam and Eve responded when, when God 
once again came to walk and talk with them in the garden. Everything was changed. Where there was openness previously, now Adam and Eve hid. Where there was joy, now there's shame. Before, where there had been a closeness and a unity, there was now fear. Everything was messed up. And unfortunately, that broken, messed up relationship is what was passed down to every person who was ever born since that time, which means you and me. But because of the cross, when you come to God in faith, you are reconciled. And now instead of the rejection of judgment, you have the joy of acceptance. Instead of fear, you have love. In fact, the Apostle John tells us perfect love casts out fear. And now that you've been reconciled with God, you have that perfect love. Not, not, not that your love is perfect. God's, you're experiencing God's perfect love towards you. In a broken relationship, we're afraid to approach the other person, right? Because you just don't know how they're going to respond. But now, because of being reconciled through the cross, you can approach God with confidence because you know everything is okay between you. That's what reconciled means. Because we've been reconciled, that's why the author of the book of Hebrews says, therefore let us draw near with what? Confidence. Me with confidence? Me when I still mess up? Me when I still blow it? Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what you get in a reconciled relationship. Mercy, grace, help. You know, being debt-free, as we looked at last week, that means we're made fit for heaven, right? We, we can gain eternal life. We, we, we gain uh, entry into heaven because our debt was wiped clean or canceled and forgiven. And that's a great thing. But reconciliation, it's all about relationship. See, here, here's the point. God didn't want to just get you into heaven. He desired a real relationship with you. One that's not going to be hindered and strained and uncomfortable, but rather one that's open, vital, dynamic, close, loving. Because of the cross, we're reconciled. And we have that kind of relationship with God. It's restored. And God wants to walk with you and talk with you. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for all these things that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. God, we know in our own hearts how hesitant we are to reconcile with one another down here. We, we don't want to take the first step. We want them to be sorry, to, to take ownership for their part of the wrong or whatever the issue is. But God, we are the ones who wronged you. And yet you took the first step towards us. 
How incredible is that? Thank you, God, that you love us that much. That you want things to be right between us so much that you did everything that was necessary to make it right. And we just have to accept what Christ has done for us on the cross. So thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.